What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another chapter of Ball Diary Podcast. This is chapter three. Um, today, we are going to recap the Final Four and the championship game that just took place. Uh, cover some of the players' draft stocks. Spitting in the Final Four, Mo Wagner, Jalen Brunson, Michael Bridges, just to name a few. And then transition to the NBA, talk about some of the headlines that are going on right now. I know we haven't covered the NBA lately because of this crazy tournament, but March is over, so it's time to get back into it. This is Rajon here. You can follow me at Rajon NBA on Twitter. And I'm joined here once again by my man, Danny, at based underscore Dan, B-A-S-E-D underscore Dan on Twitter and Instagram. What's going on, my man? Hey, what's going on, Ray? How are you? Good, man. How you doing? Good, man. Excited. For, uh, we actually start talking NBA now. Uh, college season's over. It was an awesome ride, though. Uh, March Madness tournament was probably one of the best I've seen. Um, and crazy, crazy, crazy finishes. Dominance when it co- came to Villanova. Um, and just the heart when it came to Michigan getting to the final. But, you know, it was a great season overall. Uh, the best team did win, I feel like. So, I agree, man. I'm sad, man. March is over, you know. March is over. It was a crazy ride. Awesome tournament. Very, very entertaining. One of the best tournaments I've seen in a long time. And and Villanova, dude. One of the best college basketball teams teams I've seen in a very, very long time on both ends of the floor, man. They were just impressive. I mean, what did you take away from the Final Four? Just to kind of preview the Michigan-Loyola game, uh, the Villanova-Kansas game. Did that play out how you kind of expected it to? Yeah, I did. I mean... As much as I wanted Loyola to advance, uh, the hometown team from for us, you know, what I mean, both being from Chicago, just a Cinderella story all in all. But, you know, midnight finally struck for Cinderella. Uh, Michigan took care of business. And it was a good game. You know, Loyola kept it, kept themselves in it. Um, very sloppy and streaky, but they didn't have an answer for Mo Wagner. And that's what, you know, superstar players in college do. When you have 24 and 15, it's hard to stop. It's hard to beat. Um, Loyola uh, didn't shoot as well as they were in the past few games in the tournament. And just overall, I, I predicted it to be like a six to seven point victory, and it, it was uh, the better team won when it came to Michigan. But shout out to Loyola. It was a great season for them, great run. They put themselves on the map. They're getting some more recognition now. Mid-majors are scary when it comes to March. You can never doubt whether it's a double-digit seed, whether it's a mid-major team. You can't doubt anyone when it comes to tournaments. One game, you know. Uh, but when it came to the Villanova and Kansas, I did not expect that at all. I'm sure you didn't expect that either. <laughs> not that. But again, bad. it's Villanova, the best team in the nation. Uh, Jay Wright with a with great coaching. Uh, they were just hitting so many outside shots. They hit what they hit like 13 or 14 threes by halftime, and it was an NCAA record. Yeah, at half. Yeah. And that's crazy. And that's just crazy all on its own. But uh, how did you think those games played out? Same thing, man. Like Michigan, Loyola. Um, Loyola played awesome. They stayed in the game with their, with their, you know, with their tempo. They slow it down. They take smart shots. But it played out how I expected it to. Michigan was a more talented team. They had the more dominant player. And coming into that game, I knew Wagner was going to be the biggest mismatch that entire game because Crutwig is too slow to, to guard him in the perimeter. And you saw when he was in the game, Wagner was stepping out and blowing by him. And then when they would sub Crutwig out, um, they were bringing um, Andre Jackson off the bench. And he's like 6'5". And he just couldn't handle yeah. Wagner. And he was going down low, getting offensive rebounds. So, I mean, it took Michigan a little while to kind of get into their rhythm. And credit to Loyola's defense. But I felt like in the second half when Mo Wagner just started taking over, Michigan started gaining momentum. And they, and they looked like the team that we saw the previous game. Um, so, and then at Villanova and Kansas, I mean, 
geez, it was like what twenty to like six at one point. Like, yeah, <laughs> what are you going to do? Honestly, I don't even know what you could do when when a team's hitting that many shots and they're playing that exceptional defensive end. Kansas at no point in the entire game when I was watching did I say, okay, they might make a run here. There was not one second of that game where I was like, Kansas even has a chance against this team. And and credit to Villanova, man, this team was spectacular all year. One of the best college basketball teams I've seen in a very, very long time. And yeah. moving on to the championship game, it, it showed again. Um, how do you think the championship game played out? I mean, did you did you expect <laughs> it to end that way? Did you expect it? I, how did you? Well, first off, I didn't expect Dante DiVincenzo to just absolutely explode off the bench, oh which was God. Yeah. disgusting. Um, but I didn't expect Villanova to hit so many outside shots either. I thought Michigan um, – played you know Michigan played tough in the first what 12 13 minutes it was a really close game yeah. Michigan had the lead but then it kind of you can tell the vibe of their team kind of went mm-hmm. south right when Villanova took the lead and I believe it was like an under like under the basket pass and then it was I believe Spellman dunked it they took a lead and just like I don't know the momentum just shifted completely there was no like, all right, let's give it back to them. You know what I mean? Let's let's get them back. It was just like, okay, we're down now. Let's play. Uh, you know what I mean? We play unconfident. That's how, that's how I felt they played. Yeah, it was crazy. No, I agree, man. I mean, to start the game off, Wagner was balling out. He was doing oh, whatever he, he could. Was... To to, I mean, yeah. but honestly, like the rest of the Michigan players, no one, no one was helping him out. Nobody helped him out, and yeah. they started off the game strong because of Wagner. And if I think I feel like if his, you know, if Rockman was more involved in the game. Duncan Robinson, I don't think, hit a three the entire game, and he's their best shooter. No, the, the whole team only hit three threes. Yeah, they I mean. Three of 23 from the three-point line compared to 10 of 27 of Villanova. That's a big difference. That's 13% compared to nearly 40%. So, I mean, the odds are in Villanova's favor when it comes to that point. Yeah, and, and again, like, Michigan stayed in the game in the first half. And they played – they were playing great defense. I mean, they kept Brunson in check uh-huh. pretty much. They kept Spellman oh, yeah. in check. They kept Paschal in check. But when defense, De, I can't even, goddamn his name, DiVincenzo yeah. came off the bench. Yeah. I mean, he just flipped that entire game around. And when they went up nine at half, I was like, okay, Villanova really hasn't played a good game. They're up nine at half. This is a terrible situation to be in for Michigan because we've seen Villanova when they, you know, when they struggle in the first half, the second half they come out and they just start making it rain from all over the court. And that's exactly what happened. And DiVincenzo exactly. was out of his mind. Mikel Bridges started to get involved in the game. He ended up with 19 points. He was hitting awesome transition threes. I mean, he looked awesome. He looked like a lottery pick that he's supposed to be. And Villanova was just too much, man. They they were just too damn good. I mean, they were just too damn good all year. That exactly was. And Villanova, I've said it time and time again, like they make those game-changing runs. And usually it's a team effort. Usually you get like Brunson involved, diming and, and finding people that leads to like Spellman dunking, it leads to Paschal, it leads to Bridges. But it was literally a run all by Dante DiVincenzo. If you think about it, if you see it in the game, Michigan went on little spurts, mm-hmm. quick little four yeah, runs, they did. Little runs. And what happens after that is Vincenzo brings it up, pulls from 26 feet, cashes out, and then it's like, okay, now we have our heads down again. Yeah, I so, mean – that that was the key factor in him making those runs for Villanova. It was it was more like it was like a one man army at one point. No, it was granted. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like at one because at one point Michigan kind of uh, second half they got it down to fourteen and then DiVincenzo hit like back to back threes and it was like back up yep. to freaking nineteen again and it's like 
they just Michigan just honestly didn't look like they belonged on the floor with these guys. Like that's how good Villanova yeah. looked. That's how dominant they looked on both ends of the floor. They weren't giving Michigan any easy shots. Their defense was spectacular. They're switching everything. I mean, they have guys that can guard. They have guys that can drive in yeah. and create. And sh- I mean, they just had way too much. That team was – they were phenomenal and all the year. With, and that's the thing with a team like Villanova, man. They can – and, I, and I, was, I was, you know, I was on Twitter just explaining yesterday, you know, they're a team that can stretch you out. They're a team that can play slow. They're a team that can play fast. They can play big. They can play small. They can beat you defensively only. They can hold you to under 50 points. They can score 80 points. So they're just so versatile. If one thing isn't working for them, they have a plan B, a plan Mm -hmm. C, a plan D, and a plan E. For Michigan, if it wasn't Wagner going off and they didn't have, you know, Jordan Poole going off, they didn't have – Abdul Rockland had 23, but I feel like a lot of those were – Garbage. It was garbage time. Yeah, garbage minutes. Um, And then Charles Matthews, it was just they didn't have enough. Because when Wagner's when Wagner's not playing and not balling out crazy, the whole team isn't rallying around anybody else. They don't have a plan B, C, D, or E. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I I wish the game was a lot closer so we can have more to talk about. But like, honestly, there isn't really much to say besides the fact that Villanova from the beginning of the year they were freaking dominant. They were the best team hands down in the country, and and they Mm -hmm. proved it in the tournament. I mean, they what, what was their closest game against Texas Tech? I think. Was that their closest game? Are you talking about tournament? Villanova? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and guess what? Every game they won was by double digits. Yeah. The first I mean, time in history. I Honestly, I don't remember the last time a team was this no, dominant. No, I mean, West man. Virginia – actually, West Virginia had a really good chance against it. And then, you know, it was kind of a balance between the reps making some ticky-tack calls. And, of course, they went on that big run um, and some momentum-shifting plays. But West Virginia gave them a tough time. Alabama had a halftime lead, but – I didn't think Alabama was, had enough to beat them. I, I mean, granted, Colin Sexton is a great player, but he can't just do it by himself against a team like Villanova. Um, so they didn't really have – yeah, you're right. I think it would be Texas Tech or West Virginia. Yeah, and even West Virginia, I mean, Villanova put up, what, 90 on them, on the best defense in the country. So, like, when, when I yeah. saw that, I'm like, dude, what are, what are you going to do to stop these guys? Because not only are yeah. they really good defensively, like, if they're putting up 90, 85, 86 on, like – some of the best defensive teams in the country, like, you just have no chance, yeah. man. You just couldn't guard them. They're, they're built yeah, like – obviously, I'm not comparing them to an NBA team, but they're built like an elite NBA team where they, they're so versatile in the way they play, right? Like you mentioned, they mm-hmm. can spread it out. They go five out when they have Spellman because he can shoot the three, so they, they dribble drive yeah. and they create open shot, or they can slow it down. And then they're also really good defensively. They have a bunch of guys that can guard multiple positions. I mean, they're just – they were a perfectly built yeah. – coached basketball team and and rightfully yeah. so they deserved and, it and and they won the championship easily man and and transitioning from that uh well built jay wright did a great job this is probably now the top tier number one to number two maybe like top three program in the country and in the past four years they've done it you know they won two national championships mm-hmm. and they don't do it with one and duns now, that's, that's what i love thing. this is, this yeah. is huge for college basketball the one and done is now looking like it's like, all right, do we really need five freshmen, um, like five freshmen on the floor at the same time? No, you need veteran leadership. When, when, when things hit the fan, who are you going to rely on? Someone without any too much experience or someone with that experience, uh, with that savviness to bring you back? Obviously, with good coaching, you can win anything. I mean, look at Cal Perry's done before, but it's hard. It's very hard. It, no, it is. I mean, it's 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 exciting to see all these freshmen play together. Like Kentucky, I mean, Duke has the top three recruits going next year. But a team like yeah. Villanova, 
and why I loved watching them play, why I think they're so good for college basketball. Number one, Jay Wright doesn't really recruit one-and-done players, right? He's He's yeah. been quietly building a program like this where he's getting players and he's developing developing them over a course of two, three years, and these players are getting better. And and mm-hmm. when you have a team that's been through, you know, they've, they've won together like Villanova did, they've lost together like they did last year in the tournament, they – the chemistry they have compared to a team that's all freshmen, that's the first time playing together, they only have 30 games to get their shit together before the tournament comes. It, it's hard, yeah. you know what I mean? Because when, well, like you said, when shit hits the fan, how are they yeah. going to react? Nova's been there for multiple years with each other. They know how to play. Yeah. They know that everyone, what everyone's role is. They don't have to tell each other. We got to do, like, everyone knows what to do because they've experienced it before. And, and that's why, like you mentioned, mid-majors are so scary in the tournament because mid-majors are usually made up of juniors seniors and sophomores because they don't have the one and done talent so that's why they do so well like Loyola did right uh Clayton Mm -hmm. Cluster junior Ben Richardson senior um Ingram senior Marcus Towns I think was a junior this year like yeah I mean you know what I mean like they've they've experienced exactly the heartache together they have chemistry together they know what everyone likes to do on the floor they know where everyone likes to get the ball and it's hard to get as talented as you are it's hard to bring a team together we saw it, I mean, even in NBA, when, when the Miami Heat first joined, you don't know where players like to get the ball. You don't know what players like to do in certain situations, where they want to ISO. Um, spacing is, is hard because you're not used to people, uh, the way they move around on the court. And Villanova is just, I mean, th- that's why they won. That's why they're the best team. And, and now they're a powerhouse program, two championships in three years. Yeah. It, it was and awesome it, to watch. And it's programs like Villanova who recruit these players. Like Jalen Brunson is the AP player of the year, um, but he wasn't a one-and-done player. You know what I mean? Um, if you look at the past with Villanova, they, they pretty much build very solid professional basketball players. Like Josh Hart, for example. Josh Hart oh, won a national yeah. championship. He's a, he was a late first-round pick by the Lakers. or was he? A, I believe he was late first round, correct? I think so, yeah. I think he was towards the end of the first round. Yeah. Uh, and look what he's doing now. He gets double doubles for God's sakes, and he's a guard. He plays very smart. He's a very savvy player. Great, yeah. He's twenty three years old. He's a rookie, but guess what? He's built. He has a more mature body than someone, for example, like his teammate Lonzo Ball. Um, and he's not saying he's gonna be a superstar, but guess what? His career is gonna be a ten year career. <laughs> Josh that, Hart will be in the league for at least ten years. And, and those that's are Jay yeah. Wright builds. And those are the type of players you get from programs like Villanova, and that's why these lower the, the teams that are drafting lower, um, they need to take a harder look at these guys from the mid-majors, these guys from programs like Villanova, right? Because they're going to come in. These are the guys that are going to give you eight to ten years of solid playing time. You know what I mean? Like role players. And yeah. you need these team, You need these guys to be elite. I mean, look at every mm-hmm. elite team. They have those exceptional role players. Josh Hart, right? Look at Mikhail Bridges. Where did he come from? Yeah. And look at him yeah. now. Now he's a lottery pick, right? Took him. Yeah, he's a junior. Exactly. And you might be scared because, okay, why did it take him so long to develop? Is this his ceiling? Well, no, it's not. He just – Jay Wright got him as a raw player. He has length. <laughs> yeah. He has athleticism. And he's developed every single year. He's developed his shooting. Now he's going to go to the NBA. He's going to be another guy that's going to come in your team, come on your team and, at worst, be a great 3 and D player. He's a winner. And he has very high, high IQ. So, it's – I yeah, mean, like – You, you mm-hmm. look at a guy like uh, – Josh Hart's teammate, Kyle, Kyle Kuzma, look at him. Yeah, he's balling. same thing. He's, he's dropping double-doubles. He's getting 20-plus games, 20-point-plus games. He, uh, what, he broke the uh, Laker rookie three-point record uh, mm-hmm. for a season. 
So he's doing things, and he's 22, 23 years old. So you got to look at these players like from programs such as, like for example, Utah, Villanova, guys who come from Carolina, guys who come from uh, like a UConn. Like look at look at Kemba Walker. He was yeah. a junior when he got, and look at him now. He's the Hornets' all-time leading scorer. It's all so. over the M- I mean, exactly right. It's all over the NBA. You got Kemba, and then you even got these other role players that you would think, okay, coming into the draft, they might not have the physical tools, like Jalen Brunson, for example, right? Like, yeah. Just, I'm just curious. Do you think where where do you think Brunson is right now on the draft boards? Do you think he's a late first, it, early second? Yeah, he's a late first round pick because he's proven. Exactly. He's, not, he's good enough. He's good enough to be like in a in a couple years. Like, yeah, if he can develop his game more, obviously. Um. You can't, you know, he's a, he's a smaller guard, but he gets into cracks. He gets into creases. Uh, he could shoot it. He's really smart on the floor. He knows where to make these passes. I, I watched his game yesterday. He was in the post, no look cut pass to a, a slashing. It was either, I believe it was Spellman or Bridges, one of those lanky guys, yeah, but right. catching and dunking. So it's like, he's got that savviness. He's got that IQ. So that's why he's going late first. Yeah. And he reminds you know me I mean? a lot of, and who I think he could be like going into the NBA and coming in, you're gonna, you know, he's gonna go through his draft workouts. He's not gonna have exceptional speed. He's not gonna have size. He's not gonna have yeah. that much strength. But like a Fred Van Fleet, right? Look at him. He yeah. was a four-year Fred guard, Lee, yeah. four-year guard, and Ron Baker. Both of them four-year guards at Wichita State. They don't have the greatest physical abilities, but guess what? They're winners. They know how to play the game. Um, they're smart defensively. They're smart offensively. They don't force shots. And look at yeah. Van Fleet right now. He's one of the most productive bench players on arguably the best bench unit mm-hmm. in the NBA. On the Toronto Raptors, yeah. Ron Baker has started for the freaking uh, the Knicks multiple games. He comes off the bench, he does his job, and he gets off, right? No egos. Yeah. They just come in, they do their job, and they leave. And exactly. you need guys like that. You need guys like that on the team. So I think Brunson could be that guy, um, regardless of and how I, big he is or whatever you know his disabilities are physically. Mm-hmm. And I think at, at best, he can honestly, like, the way Vilmo produces guards, have you – you you know Kyle Lowry went to Villanova, right? <laughs> yeah, he played. Yeah, yeah, small six foot six one guard um, who can you know his shot's gotten better over the years, but he can really distribute it. He can fill up the stat sheet. He can do it a lot. And he, look at him; he's a starting point guy. He's been an all star starter. Yeah, and he's one you of those I mean? guys that it took him like what five six years to finally develop yeah. into a really good NBA player. And and it doesn't happen that often because usually if guys come in and they haven't developed early, they usually don't pan out, but you would get mm-hmm. guys from these type of programs where it's like they continue to work. They're smart. They can stay on the floor early in their career because of the way they play the game uh, with such high IQ. And then they get better like a Kyle Lowry, yeah. like you mentioned, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think Brunson, I mean, someone's going to take him. Someone wants a smart player, yeah. a Frank, Frank Mason, um, same thing, you know, yeah. Kansas, he's on the Kings. Now he comes in, he's small, but like he comes in, he gives you valuable minutes at the point guard position. He's a winner. And he, and he goes exactly like you, you, those players like that are priceless in today's NBA, honestly. Yeah. But transitioning into that, um, we look at some of people, some of these players' draft stocks now. Um, like a guy like Mikel Bridges, like we were talking about, uh, Mo Wagner. Um, where do you think these guys are going to go? So if we're going to start, where do you start with Michigan's Mo Wagner? Where do you think he's going to end up? So. Honestly, like I was happy that he came back to school because he developed his jumper and he's he's more yeah. consistent now and he can pick and pop, which he needed needed to be able to do to get into the NBA. I see him as a late first. I see him as a prospect if I would give him a range of where I see him, thirty five to forty as best college prospects coming out. So uh-huh. very early second, 
someone might take a chance on him late in the first round. Um, but I definitely think he helped his draft stock with, with um, the tournament run he had. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where, where, do you, where do you Absolutely. think he goes? You know, I liked him as a late first-round pick. Um, even, I mean, he, he had a great tournament. Don't get me he wrong. Did. He yeah. had a great tournament. And he was there when Michigan needed a bucket. He was there when Michigan needed a rally. It, you see it after every foul, every timeout. He's first one in the huddle grabbing everybody. So from a leadership perspective, from a guy you want on your team, he's someone you can draft in the late first. He can really shoot it now. His post game's gotten better. He's stronger, tougher. Um, I say he goes late first. And, you know, don't be surprised if a team like Boston picks him up. Right. I, I could just see him fitting on Boston so well with Brad Stevens. Yeah, exactly. A well, good coach. like Or the Spurs, of course. Yeah, of uh, course. Popovich, right. Stevens. These, these guys would mold Wagner into someone who can be like a, like a very productive off-the-bench guy, can, can start you a few games here and there, and can really make a mismatch when it comes to spreading the floor. No, I agree. What about... I mean, I don't think Bridges could have had a better championship game, right? I think he solidified yeah. his lottery pick status. He showed that mm-hmm. he can sh- shoot in transition like everyone thought he was supposed to. Um, he was exceptional defensively. He was, I mean, he pretty much locked up Charles Matthews, who's another guy that put himself on the radar, but we'll get to him. Mm-hmm. Um, Bridges, uh, do you think he can crack top six now? Or do you wow. still see him, do you still see him <sighs> going eight to like 14? I think... And man, the top six is tough. I mean, because think about it. If you have, if you're going top six, that means you're you're in the conversation with Aiton. You're in the conversation with Doncic. You're in the conversation with Michael Porter Jr. You're in the conversation with uh, Bagley, and then you have guys like Jaron Jackson. You got guys um, like uh, Trey Young. These kind of players. He's good enough to be top six, but will a team reach for him top six? I don't think so. I think if a team really wants him, they'll trade down to get him maybe additional pick. I think he goes anywhere from eight to 12, though. I don't think he goes past 14. He's not going to go past 14. There's no way. So right now – No way he's going 13. I think he's going eight to 12 range. Okay, let me ask you this, though, because right now – so I'm looking at a mock draft on NBADraft.net. The Sacramento Kings have the sixth pick, right? Yeah, you look at a team like Sacramento Kings, and you have these guys like Colin Sexton that are given high ceilings, Trey Young that are supposed to go before Michael. But if you're the Kings mm-hmm. and you look at their roster, they have their point guard yeah. for the future, the De- De'Aaron Fox. They have their two big men in Scala Busier and Willie Cauley Stein, who I think are their future big men. Right? Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they drafted Bogdan uh, Bogdanovich, who's very low key, been a great rookie for them. He's such a smart oh, yeah. player. He's been, he's, yeah, he's been very good. I mean, when Popovich, when Popovich calls you out, like you know, you're doing something wrong. Popovich loves his. Yeah, he says true. he's such a smart player. So really, what they're missing is a small forward. So my question to you is, I feel like a lot of times the NBA NBA teams they take players based off their potential, not really what they need. Like the Kings would be better off taking Bridges because that's that's what they need. They need that three and D, that small forward guy. So. Do you mm-hmm. think they would take a chance on him instead of, like, a Colin Sexton? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say – I don't think the Kings should go for a guard at this point. They should. I agree. The team. They, they, have, they have Bogdan. They have Buddy Heel. They have Darren mm-hmm. Fox. Uh, they have Frank Mason. Uh, so, are they going to go with uh, Mikel Bridges? Possibly. If Jaron Jackson's still there, maybe slide over three. Even, like, okay, would you rather have Mikel Bridges or Miles Bridges right now? Uh, no question, Mikel. Okay, so you can rule Miles Bridges off. I would mm-hmm. just go Jaron Jackson or um, Mikel Bridges. 
Yeah, and yeah, I think I, and see, like, team needs. At that point, you're right. I think team needs would be the biggest thing. Like if you have a team like Sacramento, but if you have a team like like Cleveland getting that pick, I don't think you take. No, I don't think no. you take Mikel Bridges because r- realistically, the only other small forward that's supposed to go over Michael in this draft is Michael Porter, right? And we both agree yeah. that Michael Porter is a top three pick. So when you look at top four, three, yeah, top four, yeah, four through seven, depending on where the teams land and what their need is. I think Mikel has proved enough that, hey, even though maybe Colin Sexton has a higher ceiling, Trey Young might have a higher ceiling. If you don't need him, why waste a pick on him? You know what I'm saying? What are you going to do yeah. with Sexton? Put him on the bench? Yeah. yeah, let him develop. You already have like three guards. That's what I'm saying. So why not take someone like Bridges who can come in, he could start, and he's going to be that, he's going to fill in that void that you have as a 3 and D player. So yeah. I think before the tournament, um, he wouldn't have went this high, but now, now, like after the tournament, how he's proven that he can shoot in transition. Um, he's a very efficient three-point shooter. He shoots over like forty-two percent. Why not take him if that's what your team needs? Yeah. Even if it's the sixth pick, even if it's the fifth pick, you're like, take what your team needs. Don't really take off ceiling. Yeah. yeah if you're okay, but if you're a team like Chicago Bulls, are you taking Mikel Bridges uh-huh. at six? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're, uh, you're gonna yeah. take okay. Yeah, I mean, because because the, the way thing, I like, look at, the way I look at it, look at their backcourt, right? Dunn yeah. and Levine, right? If okay. they, if they keep Levine, so you're set there. Yeah. You have your 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 young big men. You have Markin and Portis, who potentially, in the way, especially the way Hoidberg coaches that offensive system, shoot a bunch of threes. Markin and Portis play that role perfectly. So what are you missing there again? You're missing that void of a three and D guy. Mikel fits mm-hmm. right in. I mean, who else would you take, you know? Obviously, if you can get Michael Porter, but we're not yeah. saying that. Say the Bulls get the, the seventh pick, and you have Trey Young, Sexton, um, Wendell Carter, Kevin Knox, and Mikael Bridges on the board. Who's the yeah. best fit for the Bulls at you, that point? But then you need score. But for Hoiberg's system, then, you would need shooting and scoring. Yeah, Mikael Bridges makes sense. Kevin Knox is also a great scorer. He, exactly. And you could slide him over to three. Yeah, I slide Kevin Knox over to three. Yeah, I think that's what he's going to play in the NBA. I think he's going to play the three. The only thing is with him, I don't think he's ever going to be good defensively. Um, yeah, I just don't. I just don't. Yeah, I think he could be a 18 point scorer in the NBA. Like he's extremely skilled offensively. We saw him. He can come off picks, shoot mid range. He he pick and pops. He shoots three. I mean, he, offensively he has it all, but defensively, Mikel gives you that potentially elite defender at the NBA level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I think it really it comes down to team need with Mikel. Like, if a team needs him, don't take a guy with the higher ceiling, quote unquote. If he fits your team, if you need it, even if you're at the sixth pick, take him. Because I think he's he, at worst, you know what I mean. He's a three and D guy at best. He yeah. develops into who knows. In, into, you know what I mean? Yeah, you never know. Yeah, and and that's so interesting when it comes to picks like six through nine this year. Because you have like a, a random mix, like Jaron Jackson, like you have Jaron Jackson, Miles Bridges, Mikel Bridges, and um, Kevin Knox, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like pick pick what kind of like fit you want for that forward position. It's it's just interesting outside of the top five what's going to happen next. Um, any other players that you saw uh, from yesterday's game? You saying you said something about Charles Matthews? Yeah, I think I think he's putting himself on the radar. I don't think he should come out yet. I think he he needs one more year because his jumper is still not consistent. But if yeah. you look at the way he's built, he's six six, right? He's he's pretty, I mean he's pretty built. Like he's not scrawny at all, but he's got great length. 
Um, and I think the way today's NBA is played, he's versatile enough to guard the twos, the threes, and potentially switch on fours. You know what I mean? So I think he yeah. really did put himself on the radar. Um, he seemed to, to me to be like a really, really good defender at the college level. And he knows how to use his length well. He's a great athlete. I mean, we've seen it. Like, he was jumping off two feet under the rim and, and throwing it down without gathering up. You know what I mean? So I think <laughs> yeah. he, So athletically, he has the ability. And I think he's just got a total package of just great length, athleticism, size, um, that now I see him maybe potentially not this draft. Um, this draft, I think he could still be a second-round pick. But next draft, uh, potentially be a, a late first-rounder. But if he yeah. develops a jumper, I mean, he could skyrocket up to maybe a top 20 pick. Yeah, and Charles Matthews has that athletic ability. Uh, he could take off. Um, like you said, just more, just getting more seasoned when it comes to your shooting, when it comes to your scoring mm-hmm. ability. Because in college, it's, it's tough. You can't just call for the ball ISO clear out. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Yeah, coaches don't allow system. it. Yeah. So I think for him, if he waits another year, he can go from, you, you were saying, like late first potentially – into a second round pick mm-hmm. or you stay, you develop, you have a whole summer to get better. And that's huge. You have a whole summer to get better. Then you got into your season to get better. And then you have a tournament. So it's so many stages of the college of mm-hmm. the college year to get better that he can even be, you know, 15 to 20. Yeah, no, you know? I agree. I think so he's got, I he, think he's he got he the could total be a late lottery. He could be late lottery. If he works on just his overall skill, when it comes to handling the ball, playing more of that versatile role, because in the NBA, you got guys who are seven feet dribbling like point guards. You got point guards mm-hmm. who are scoring thirty. So it's it's not your it's not your it's not your dad's NBA anymore. You know what I mean? So you have to be able to be versatile. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And and I didn't really have him on any of like on my draft radar before the tournament started. But as I saw him play in the tournament, I mean, he led Michigan in scoring. I think in four of their tournament games. And I just yeah. you know I saw what he's potentially capable of doing because he's such a great athlete he's got great length and size that if he develops a consistent jumper he needs to work on his free throw shooting because he's a horrible free throw shooter yeah um he could he could he could play in the nba i see him playing in the nba i think he's athletic enough to play in the nba and be productive maybe a trevor a trevor ariza type player if he gets a a decent jump shot you know what i mean because he's got the way he's built is like trevor ariza you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. he just needs to work on his shooting really yeah so when it came to Villanova and how dominant they were, did they remind you? Like it, you said, this is one of the best teams you saw in the past few years. Hands do you down. think? Do you think they're you know, like one like uh, they? I don't think ever top five. No, you know I mean? no, no. But I'm saying like in the past, let's say ten years, where would you put them? Is there a team that you would throw out there that's comparing to them or even better than them? What would you say? So, I mean, if we just look at it from the standpoint, all right, the, the last team, I think, to win two championships in three years was the Florida Gators, right? With Joe Noah, Al Horton. Yeah. With Al Hor- yeah, they won back-to-back. So that's the last team we've seen do that. But that Florida team was just exceptional defensively. Offensively, they weren't as potent as this Villanova team. Yeah. Right? Then you have the Duke yeah. team with Kyle Singler, Nolan Smith. They were great. They were phenomenal. They were good on both ends of the floor, so I have to give it to them. But, again, yeah. they won one championship. Yeah. Um, UConn won two, three years, right? Yeah, two and four, yeah. I believe. Two and four, yeah, you're right, because they were spended a year. I remember that from the tournament. Yep. Um, to be honest with you, I haven't – I don't remember. I don't know if I'm just blanking out, but I don't remember a team that was this great on both sides of the ball. Like, these guys offensively were as efficient as I've ever seen. Um, uh-huh. And defensively, 
they were just as good. And, and these other teams that we mentioned, like, they were good on one side of the ball. Like, that Florida team was just spectacular defensively, right? They didn't have mm-hmm. great shooting. They had a lot of great defenders. Horford, Joe Kim Noah, Corey Brewer, all three guys that are in the NBA and are all elite defenders in the NBA at one point. Um, yeah. UConn, I mean, it was Kemba. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it was Kem- Kemba and Shabazz and Boatwright, like the little guards. The little that guards that, that really took them. Um, North uh, Duke was very well balanced when they had Nolan Smith, John Shire, um, Kyle Singler, and those boys. And then you had UNC a couple years ago. But UNC, again, like their their kind of signature play was they were the best offensive rebounding team and rebounding team in the country, like when they're yeah. dominant. You know what I mean? So, yeah. The way Villanova is, the way they shoot, the way they get into the lanes, the way they create shots, and the way they switch on defense, I don't remember a team uh, being able to do that on both sides of the floor this this efficiently ever, yeah. to be honest with you. And I think the only team that comes – I mean, like, 09 UNC, 2010 Duke, yeah. But, like, 2012 Kentucky was so good on defense because of their anchor, Anthony Davis. Of course. People forget – I mean – People forget how good Michael Kidd Gilchrist was because I know his jump shot's always been funny looking, but he was such a five-tool player, and they had a really good team. That team was phenomenal. Um, but Anthony Davis was just like their key to everything. You know Anthony I mean? Davis was just Kira the Jones best player. Was really good yeah. Too. yeah, but like you saw that. Like again, you said it was their defense and Anthony Davis. I mean, there was games he would score six points, and he was by far the best player on the court. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Yeah, because he could change the game. But with Villanova, they have, like, four people who can change the game. <laughs> I mean, Brunson can drop 20. Mikel drops 20. Paschal can drop 20. Spellman could drop 20. Phil Booth, who's a uh, – I think he's a he's a junior guard, right? He was he was a freshman yeah. on the first national championship team. Yep. He came off the bench that game and dropped 20 and then uh-huh. first national as a freshman. So And then DiVincenzo is a 20. They had five, six guys that could put up 20 points, dude. Like, I don't remember a team that was this well – I'm put together on both sides of the ball. I I really don't. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Like I maybe I mean that Louisville team that's non-existent anymore was pretty good, but um, yeah, non-existent. But they were yeah, yeah. But I mean bullshit. They were good, but I feel like Michigan was a better team that in that tournament, but they just had an off mm-hmm. night. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, I agree. So Villanova just looks they look so good, and next year, guess what? They might be there again. So well, <laughs> so yeah. Most likely, they're returning Spellman, right? He was a redshirt freshman. DiVincenzo is going to come back, most likely. I don't think he should go after yeah. one game. He'll yeah. most likely come back. Uh, Phil Booth will be there. He's going to be a senior guard. So, they got three guys, championship players, that are going to come back on the team. Um, Jay Wright has another five-star point guard coming in. And um, what's his name? I, the Curley. Jelly. The Jelly. Yeah. Is that the Jelly Roll yeah. guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Javon Curley or – Fits. He's a prototypical Villanova point guard. Small gets in the lane, just like Brunson, Kyle Lowry, yeah. Scotty Reynolds, like all those guys that Jay Wright always brings in. So yeah. they'll be elite. And then just to throw it in, I saw an interesting thing today. I saw like a way too early preseason top twenty-five, and they had Loyola number fifteen. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I mean, you think about it. They're returning Cluster, right? He's yeah. gonna be a senior. Um, Crutwig's coming back. They have Marcus Towns is coming back, who's was an awesome player for them this year. And then they have a couple other freshmen, I forgot their names, um, that are going to be – so they're returning a lot of their players from this team besides, like, Ben Richardson and Ingram. Pretty mm-hmm. much everyone else is coming back. That's that played, played it, Yeah, so you never know, man. Who knows yeah. if they get a, a, a decent recruit 
that that yeah. program could be a top twenty five program now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, so to wrap things up with college, Villanova is just really good, <laughs> and everybody <laughs> pretty else much catch up to them. But now that March is over, and guess what's around the corner? The NBA, the NBA playoffs, maybe <laughs> like what ten days? Yeah, I can't wait. I guess the benefit from starting the season early is we get the playoffs early. So I, I, I right, and it's like perfect timing because like March is over, we only have like a week to wait, and then the playoffs just kick into yeah. freaking full gear. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've been missing out on so many headlines with NBA because mm-hmm. we've been covering the tournament. But honestly, the craziest thing to me, I don't understand it. I want to get, get your opinion on it. This Kawhi Leonard saga, like what the hell is going on? Oh, with my goodness. Is he done playing for the Spurs? Like, has he played his last games with them? Like, I can't even fathom to think of him playing somewhere else without Popovich. And, and that's the thing. Like, Kawhi Leonard is such an interesting star because like he, get, he got better every single year he's been in the league, right? And last, he's like Popovich's little robot that yeah, he molded into this freaking animal. He's like a Terminator. You charge him at night, you bring him in the game, and he's full battery, and he's good to go. He's literally a Terminator. Um, but, no, the, the Kawhi Leonard talk, it's interesting because, like, he's been cleared by doctors. And, when I mean, when a doctor tells you you're healthy, you're pretty much healthy to play. I mean, he's played nine games, and, and then there was a whole thing where Pop's like, well, it's highly doubtful he's going to play again. His own teammates are saying, well, no one called the players-only meeting to talk to him. Nobody wants to talk to him, all this stuff. So has he played the last game for the Spurs? Potentially. I mean, is he still get, would the Spurs still offer him the, the Supermax at 219 mil? Uh, I think so. He's pretty freaking good. But I think, I think this, is, this is the last season with San Antonio if something changes. If nothing changes and what, what's going on in Kawhi Leonard's head, it's, it, he's going to be gone. He's going to go to a team with, that, that has a lot of cap and is willing to pay and is willing to do, ha, give him the freedom. Do you think he feels like he's constrained playing with San Antonio? So, okay, so just a few things. So I was I listened to a podcast with Danny Green. Yeah. Um, maybe last week, and he was talking about that whole players meeting stuff. And you remember how he tweeted like, "This is all BS." Yeah. So he was saying he's like, "Listen, he's like the media runs away with stuff." He's like, "We talk to Kawhi Leonard like in the locker room, right? Because like he works out when we leave, so we don't see how he's progressing and stuff. So we don't know. So like, but like he's like, we talk to him and like everything's cool, but." But then you had this Tony Parker thing where Tony Parker's coming out saying out, like, my quad injury was 100 times worse. I don't know if that was a kind of a test to be like, dude, man up. Like, I'm challenging yeah. you. Like, are you going to man up? I, I just don't understand. If he's cleared, I don't know what it is. Maybe there's people in his ear telling – because, you know, he's a superstar, but he's like – he doesn't have a signature shoe. He's not in commercials. He's not getting all this advertisement money. Maybe he wants – maybe he has people in his ear telling him, like, dude, you're, you're one of the top five players in the NBA – look how much money you're missing out on, and that's just not what you're going to do in, in, in the Spurs. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that doesn't happen. That's Popovich doesn't allow that. Yeah. That's, that's not because he type. can't feel constrained. I don't know. I mean, I guess. But, like, it's Kawhi Leonard. Like, he's been just the same Kawhi Leonard for so many years. Just he comes in, does his job. It's like he doesn't even want the, the fame and, and the, the media attention. You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems yeah. like he doesn't want it. But now you hear this stuff. Doctors are clearing him, and he's just not playing. It's been over a year. His team's in, in the midst of a playoff right now, and they're a four seed. They're playing well. Like, if he came <laughs> back, like, they – if he came back maybe after the All-Star break, like, they would be a championship contender. They have all the role players. Marcus Aldridge is playing great. They're just missing a guy like Kawhi Leonard. So, I don't know, man. I I hope it's not the last time we see him in a Spurs uniform, but it looks like that's what's going to happen. And, and, and teams are going to start – um, inquiring about 
his availability. So it looks like he's he might be gone, dude. It's, it's crazy to think that too. It really is just because you know how good Kawhi Leonard is, and I know how quiet he is, and that's what I'm saying. Well, San Antonio is are, are they really restricting him like vocal? Like, does he feel like he's constrained in a sense where he can't do what he wants? Okay, I want yeah, he plays defense. Does like does he want to have a different style of play? Does he want to do something different? Um, the, the whole Jordan shoe thing. Does he want his own signature shoes? Is San Antonio is San Antonio not the right market for him? Um, or is it really like what Skip Bayless has been saying? Skip Bayless on Undisputed, he's just saying that, you know, he's a big Spurs guy. He's a big Tim Duncan fan. He says he shies away from the moment like how Tim – like Tim Duncan will never shy away like this. As quiet as Tim Duncan was, he was still that leader. He's going to go into He was a fierce competitor, yeah. Yeah, he's going to go into the battle with the soldiers. Is Kawhi Leonard backing out of that shadow? So this could be like his escape. And I don't think that – I think Kawhi Leonard is a pretty fierce competitor. I mean, he, he puts LeBron – like, he gives LeBron scares on defense, and that's tough. Yeah, I don't, honestly, I, I don't know what's going to happen with him. This, I just never saw this coming. And, I mean, I don't think there's a – in all my years of watching basketball, I don't think there's a single person or player that I respect and love more than I do Greg Popovich. Yeah. And, I trust him and I trust the Spurs system and what they've done over the past 20 years with their players over Kawhi Leonard, to be honest with you. I don't think they're doing anything to constrain him. I don't think, I think Popovich puts his players in the best position to be successful every single game and every year. I mean, he's, he's told his players to leave so they can get paid more money. Boban wanted to stay on the team and he's like, dude, go leave, go get paid money. You're not going to be playing this game for a long time. Like go make your money. Like, so I don't, it's, I don't think it's a dumb – you know what I mean? Like, I just trust yeah. Rick Popovich so much, and I trust their system and how they put players in the right positions and how, to be successful. I just I – I think it's him. I don't know if it's mentally. He's scared to come back and play. I don't know what it is if it's in his head. But I, I think it's him, honestly. I don't think it's the Spurs are doing anything wrong or are in the yeah. wrong in this situation. So, if, if, it's, if he wants to leave, don't let him walk. Trade him. You'll get valuable pieces back. And if you give Pop anyone young, he can mold them and they'll be right back into the thick of things the next few years like they are every single year. Yeah, and it's crazy to think uh, Kawhi Leonard not playing that uniform. Uh, no. but, but, you know, going from quote-unquote the most boring team in the league to probably <laughs> the most fun team in the league, honestly, when it comes to social media, personalities, and players, the 76ers, all year long – Trust the process, trust the process, trust the process. And now the process finally come together. Unfortunately, Joel Embiid goes out with the orbital injury on his the freak accident to him and Fultz. And now Fultz is actually back and playing. What do you think of the 76ers, Ray? Honestly, what do you what, what is your going into the playoffs, doing all these things? Like can they make a splash? I mean, you look at them right now, they're on an eleven game win streak. They're one game back of the Cavs from the third seed. They're 17 games over 500. Like, did anyone see this coming? Really? No. 47 and 30. I did, and I thought it was too early. But Ben Simmons and Embiid are so freaking good, dude. Like, they are. They are amazing. Ben Simmons has just gotten better. Like, I mean, he's averaging a triple double. I think during this entire win streak, Embiid is Embiid. If he's on the court, he's dominant. They're scary. I mean, right now you look at it, right? Based off the standings currently, this is obviously going to change. Their first round matchup is going to be the Pacers. Who would you favor in that matchup? Philly, Philly, I, and it would be honestly it'd be closer than what you think. 
but I still mm-hmm. think Philly because Indies can play, but Philly, I'd give it to Philly. I'd give it to Philly too, right? Embiid should come back. I heard he might just miss one playoff game. I think he'll be back. And then right now, if the Raptors maintain that first seed, like that's going to be interesting in the second round. Like Sixers and Raptors are going to be interesting. I think the Raptors would beat them just because they're veterans. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think the Sixers are there yet. But again, would you be surprised if they beat the Raptors and made it to the Eastern Conference Finals? <laughs> No, as, as, as weird as that, no, because I know everyone's like, well, Ben Simmons can't shoot. Hey, but, uh, but Rob, uh, Covington can. Robert Covington can shoot. J.J. Reddick can shoot. Sarge can shoot. Ilya Solva can shoot. Ilya Bellinelli Sarge. could shoot. Exactly. And who else they got? Their center can shoot. Embiid can shoot. Yeah. And I know Fultz is coming back, but he can make a difference too. I'm not saying he's going to come out sniping like Steph Curry, but he can, he can shoot when he gets into the paint and make some noise as well. Yeah, no, I mean they're they're awesome, dude. They're so exciting. They're gonna be really freaking good for the next five years. Yeah, like if they keep this team, I mean, right now they have currently they have the best starting five as far as net rating in the NBA with Simmons, Redick, Covington, Saric, and Embiid. So That's yeah, they have the best starting five as far as net rating in the entire NBA. Um, so if they can get that lineup back together with Embiid healthy and if Fultz can provide some some energy off the bench, um. They, they're going to be scary, dude. They're really freaking good, man. I mean, those two guys right there, like Simmons is a triple-double waiting to happen. Embiid's a 30 and 15 waiting to happen. They can they can make it to the Eastern Conference yeah. Finals. I really do think so. The only thing is we can't talk about these matchups on paper, though. The reason why I say that is because of the experience. If That's what they don't the have. First round, Indy's another team kind of like 76ers, not saying talent-wise, but experience-wise. They don't have it. made the playoffs. So that matchup, you know, I, I so again, slight edge goes to Philadelphia. But when you have to play teams like, let's say, for example, the Bostons, the Washingtons, the Torontos, and, of course, Cleveland, yeah. what are you going to do in those situations? Yeah, when I you're down eight, how are you going to respond in the fourth quarter if you're down eight to ten points? You know what I mean? Are you going to no. have your heads down? Is Brett Brown – he's great of a coach Brett Brown is, how is he going to coach such young, uh, unseasoned talent as the 76ers? It's going to be hard, and that's why I, I do see them getting eliminated in the second round, regardless if they face the Raptors or the Celtics, just because of experience. It's not going to be talent, because as far as talent, they might have the best talent on the floor most of the times, right? Yeah. yeah. Overall, across their starting lineup, but they just don't have that experience. And I just think it's too early for them to, to make it that far, but, it's, I mean, you never know. One injury happens to a team, a player, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. shit happens in the playoffs. Like, people get Absolutely. hurt. You, you say Kyle Lowry say he misses a couple of games, like they take a two old lead. A lot of things could happen, and they have a good enough team to take advantage of that. So that's what I think they mm-hmm. do. But if everything plays out the way it should, everyone's healthy. I think they'll they'll get out of the first round if they keep where they are right now, four or five seed, and, and end up with the Pacers. Um, but second round, if they're facing like a seasoned team like the Raptors, the Celtics, I mean even the Cavs, I don't, I don't, I just don't see them yeah. winning yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, with the East, it's been Toronto's year right now in the East, but we've seen this story before, and it doesn't end too pretty for Toronto. What is, what's it going to take this year for Toronto to make that step, not only to get the Eastern Conference Finals, but to climb and, and scale Mount LeBron? Like, what, what, what's going to happen? Like, how, how can you plan on being LeBron James, who has completely owned the city of Toronto when it comes to the Raptors? He has completely dominated the Raptors. I think it's simple. It's Kyle Lowry. It's Kyle Lowry because we've seen the Raptors in the playoffs last year. DeRozan shows up, right? DeRozan yeah. shows up. 
Valanchunas is going to give you his, his solid minutes, rebounding the ball. He's strong down low. He's going to finish. Ibaka is, is going to be solid. You know, he plays defense. He can stress the floor out. They have a great bench unit. Their bench unit's been excellent all year. Van Fleet comes in. Um, Siakam, he, he provides solid minutes. He's very versatile. CJ Miles can, can light it up at any moment. I think it's Kyle Lowry, dude. If Kyle Lowry plays his game and gives you that efficient 18 to 20 as well as distributing the ball, he's a very underrated defender. Yeah. They'll beat the Cavs. But how many, I mean, how many times is he going to go in the playoffs and, and crumble and disappear? Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, and that's the sad part. I'm sick of seeing Kyle Lowry as good as he is when it comes to the all-star game, when it comes to getting into the playoffs. He's great. He's a good point guard. He's top, arguably top 10 to top 12 point guards in the league. But when it comes to playoff time, I don't want to see Kyle Lowry shooting one of ten. I don't want to have him going into the fourth quarter with six points off terrible shooting percentages. It's bad. Because the thing is with Kyle Lowry, once he starts missing, he can't get out of that funk for some reason. And the thing is, it's like for him, like Russell Westbrook or anything, where you can get 14, 15 assists and make an impact on the glass, make an impact uh, just overall momentum shifting plays. He has to be on when it comes to set shooting, scoring, getting to the line. Um, and when he has games like that where he's just faltering, the team goes south. I mean, you just look at today, right? The Cavs beat them today. He had five points, dude. Calderon had 19. <laughs> like, that can't happen. It can't. And it happens so much with him in the playoffs especially. And that's the only thing that's really been holding this Raptors team back because – DeRozan always shows up. DeRozan's giving you that 30 points in the playoffs. Like, he shows up. He plays well. He gets to the rim. I, their mm-hmm. role players, I think, are excellent role players. They all know they what their job is. They have amazing role players. Yeah, they all, know what, they all know what their job is. They come in. They do it. Their bench, they have five, six guys that come off the bench. Dwayne Casey's a, been an awesome coach this year. It's Kyle Lowry, dude. He's the only guy that holds this team back. And yeah. I, 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 honestly, until I see it, I'm picking LeBron to get to the finals. Someone's going to yeah. have to prove and, me wrong, and <laughs> no one's done it yet. And I think the only person who shouldn't – like, the only person LeBron doesn't want someone to prove him wrong is Kyrie Irving. You know what I mean? There's no way – there's no way that LeBron's going to allow – if anyone beats him, it'll probably be Toronto. He will not allow Boston to beat him. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? How crazy would that Can be? Can you imagine Kyrie Irving coming back healthy? Um and Boston, if, if Boston gets the one seed, obviously it would be very, 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 very um, uh, beneficial to them because they will get game seven. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Toronto, obviously. But imagine if you have game seven in Boston and you have LeBron coming into Boston. Oh, my God. And Kyrie, too. Kyrie's a big game player, bro. Exactly. <laughs> He's a big game. I mean, who do you think has a better chance, honestly, to knock off the Cavs, Raptors or Celtics? Um. Jeez, that's okay. It, it depends, and I, I'm gonna give you an answer. I'll, I'll say I'll say Toronto just because I feel like they've been beat so many times. It's like you can't be sick of yeah. it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, you beat us twice already badly. Third time has to be a charm, right? DeRozan, like like you were saying, will show up. He will give you you know anywhere from 24 to 30 on a given night, especially on a playoff night where he has to yeah. take those shots. Their role players and bench players are awesome, and they have some veterans. The only reason why Boston – can you rely on 20-year-old Jason Tatum and 21-year-old Jalen Brown to be your second and third option scoring? Could you? Let me – I mean, but let me ask you this. Have they sh- 
shown you anything this year where you can't? No, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's different when it comes to playoff matchups. You have to face these guys, especially against LeBron. It's just, it's, it's tough. Like the magnitude of the games increase and how are these, these rookies and second year players are going to come up in these situations. Like Kyrie Irving is clearly proven. I mean, you saw it in the finals. You're dropping 40 in the finals. You're dropping game winners in the finals. So he's there, but who else on Boston? I mean, you would say Gordon Hayward if he was healthy, but still, I would I would slight edge to Toronto. Slight edge to Toronto. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point just because Jalen Brown and Tatum are so young. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, man, I don't know, man. When Boston's clicking defensively, they are fucking hard to score on. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, they are very um, I would, I Honestly, I'd give the slight edge to Boston. If Marcus Smart comes back, Healthy, Kyrie Irving comes back healthy. Nothing's holding him back. His knee's fine. And I, honestly, the only reason I give Boston the edge right now over Toronto to knock off the Cavs is because of Brad Stevens. I think he's that far and beyond a better coach. I mean, the second best coach in the NBA behind Popovich. I think he can come up with a game plan to to take that game to seven to se- take that series to seven games. And Kyrie's Kyrie in the playoffs. Like that guy yeah. shows up. He has big games. Um, I don't know. I, I just think, yeah, Brad Stevens would be my difference maker in yeah. choosing Celtics over Toronto to knock off the Cavs. Um, but again, until someone does it, until someone proves me wrong, I don't think anyone knocks off LeBron. I think he gets back to the finals with this <laughs> yeah. team. With this with this team, even though they're not that good, I think he's he's just so damn good that he'll he'll carry them back there. <laughs> it's crazy to think that. It, it's crazy, it really dude. Is. I know it really is, but I wouldn't be surprised either. And I mean. I don't even want to get into the West today just because it's so much it's so much oh, going yeah, on the West. Different... It's literally the wild wild west again. Um that would be another another discussion for another episode, right? A hundred percent. That I mean the West is gonna be crazy. It's gonna it's gonna come down to the last games, yep. to seeding, to see what the first round matchup matchups are. Oh my god, there's there's gonna be so many storylines in there, like the Warriors without Steph. If they get a you know, if they get a, a matchup against the Timberwolves, like, dude, you never know. Yeah. And, and like I said, that's a, that's another. <laughs> like I said, for all those storylines, another that's another time for another episode. You know what I mean? No, I agree. We'll we'll definitely cover that. We'll we'll drop another one this yeah. week covering the Western Conference playoff race. Yeah, NBA's um, back. I'm happy. We're actually NBA's we're back. back. The NBA's been there. We we're, we're back with NBA. <laughs> we're back. Really, the NBA's been wild. We yeah. just haven't. We've just been stuck in March Madness yeah. mode for the entire month. But we'll definitely get back into it. We'll cover yeah. all the storylines. I mean. Mm-hmm potential guys leaving teams, Jabari Parker, there's rumors. He doesn't know his future in Milwaukee. So there's a bunch yeah. of stuff we got to get to. Um, but we'll definitely keep you guys updated. Again, you can listen to this episode, Chapter 3, again, on Anchor. I'll post the link. It's going to be uploaded onto Apple Podcasts. Um, I'll post that link as well. Comment, subscribe, leave reviews. Um, if you guys have any ideas of what you guys want us to cover, we're more than happy to take them. Um, criticism, we're more than happy to take it. Um, we just want to, you know what I mean? Like, we want to just provide the best content we can. Um, something entertaining for you guys to listen while you guys are at work. I know that's all I do at work is listen to podcasts. Oh, jeez. So. <laughs> so, yeah, that's all I do, man. That's all I do. That's what gets me through my yeah, daily podcast. I feel you. I, I got a long commute every day, so. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, but hey, yeah, guys, it was a pleasure. Absolutely. Follow and follow us um, uh, at Twitter, at BaseDan, uh, Instagram, at BaseDan. We're going to be back with another episode, another chapter of Ball Diary. Yeah, I promise we'll be dropping more of these frequently. Now that we're out of March Madness and we can focus on the NBA, we're going to do these more often. So 
Can't wait. I'm excited to get these going more often and, you know, yeah. Good talks, man. Talk to you later. Absolutely. Let's wrap it up. All right, man. (laughs) Stay tuned, guys. Stay tuned. Peace. (laughs) Bye.